while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, Leslie Coburn. She is running to be the Democratic nominee in the 5th District of Virginia to replace uh, our current incumbent, Tom Garrett. Leslie, as we left, I know I threw out a list of things I'd like to discuss, but one of the things that's a big concern to me, our political elections tend to be, in my opinion, always chasing the last thing we heard or the last big thing that happened. I, I just... I wonder what sort of uh, advice, uh, Leslie, uh, do you give to all Democrats, not just Democratic voters, but those for whom they vote and elect, so that the Democratic Party is not the next target, or justifiably the next target, by uh, these kinds of movements and protests that are going on. In other words, right now, I think the Democratic Party, by and large, is doing the right thing on the right side of history, etc. How do we stay there? Well, I think I agree with you on the pendulum. I think that's the great thing about our democracy, is that there is a throw them throw the bums out mentality in the United States, and I think that's very healthy. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we have the institutions that allow us to throw the bums out. That's what we need to uh, maintain. I think that right now, uh, because of the Trump administration, has alienated an awful lot of people. Mm. People are worried on many levels, and the Democratic Party has to respond to that. We have to respond to how people feel about all these uh, the earthquakes in, in, uh, and potential earthquakes in health care coverage. Uh, we have to respond to what people are saying loudly about gun violence in this country. We have to respond to people's anger at the fact that the Republicans have just added one and a half trillion dollars to the deficit of this country Mm. in giveaways to corporations. People are mad about that, and the Democratic Party needs to embrace how people feel. Because if you don't, then you will, they will pass you by. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, I feel that's very strongly, and I think that the the Democrats, you know, you see different Democratic uh, victories in the U.S. right now, 
the Pennsylvania victory was quite different from the Alabama victory. You have different forces at work in the uh, Democratic Party. You have blue dogs. You have progressives. So it's a big tent. We need to keep it as a big tent. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, I think that's the excellent point. If you're always looking out for your fellow human beings, regardless of their color, social, economic standing, education, whatever, if you're always looking out for them, if you're always empathetic toward them, if you're always trying to understand, to listen, then you're going to be the party that people will respect and elect. And and it isn't just about party. It's about that one's individual opinion and, and behavior and character. Speaking of which, by the way, what do you think about Trump coming back to this uh, whole no transgenders? He's he's sort of thrown in at the feet of the Pentagon, but he's really still trying to get around uh, not having transgenders in the military. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a kind of publicity stunt, Mm. as far as I can see. You know, it's ridiculous. The military um, actually has embraced everyone, Mm. and that's a good thing. And I think that it should reflect the rest of society. And for for Trump to kind of try and um, raise attention, you know, he's really, he's just trying to get attention. He's always trying to get attention, whatever he's doing. And I think at the same time, you know, you have him doing that. And at the same time, he's just hired John Bolton for a big job in the White House. And Mm. John Bolton really would like to have war with Iran. The United States does not need another war right now. We've already spent trillions on wars that haven't worked out very well in Iraq and Afghanistan. We don't need another one. Exactly. You know, I'm glad you brought up John Bolton. Sometimes I think he's Trump on steroids. I don't know. But he certainly has a longer history, at least in the political arena, at lashing out at anyone who disagrees. The things he said about the United Nations in in I, I don't know. Are we? Are we? Is Trump digging in deeper, desperately, or not? What? What do you think? I'm not sure that Trump really knows what he is doing, but mm. I do know that uh, someone like John Bolton is—he's a, a warmonger, mm. and it's very dangerous for this country to even contemplate uh, having some kind of war with North Korea. Every every past administration has understood that that is not a good idea because we do not want a nuclear war. We don't even want to go close to it. And if you have any kind of conflict with North Korea, don't forget South Korea is our ally. And Seoul is a huge city very close to the border. You could have millions of deaths. And likewise, the situation in Iran. We have a wonderful agreement in Iran. Mm. We have but very seasoned diplomats, very seasoned people work out a way to have peace with Iran and really de-escalate the whole nuclear weapons issue in the Middle East. That is a positive thing. And to stir that up with a war is, frankly, you're not going to win a war mm. with Iran. You know, there's no winning. And you're, a lot of people will be killed and you'll have a, a lot more enemies and you'll have a reactivated nuclear weapons program. Exactly. So it's a very bad idea. There's just not a lot of deep thinking going on in that, that group there. I, I don't, and I'm not trying to be funny. I just, I'm concerned because, I mean, I, I have students and friends of a huge age range that cry themselves to sleep 
They tell me they can't get to sleep because they're crying. And I said, well, what is wrong? And they, no matter what they say, it always comes back to the safety of the next generation. It's huge issues. It's, you know, it's a lot more than a soundbite, but. Right. I mean, younger people are very, it's very clear to them that climate change is an, is an essential issue. It's yes. an issue that dissolves, d- deserves to be at the top of our list for anybody going into Congress. So looking what happened with the United States backing out of the Paris Accord, backing out of the leadership role when it comes to climate change, is something, um, you know, this has to be reversed. And when you look at our own district and you see that two pipelines are planned, frack gas pipelines, which will leak enough methane to be the greenhouse gas equivalent of 46 coal fire plants. Mm. What are we thinking? This is not smart. And younger people can see that right away. Yes, they do. They do. And they're the ones who are most worried about it. They've inherited this situation. But what about the income disparity? I know that was a big issue for you, and I'm sure it still is. Do you see a response in men and women to, to what you have to say about income disparity? Yes, because everybody in the district feels it. Every county has it. My own county of Rappahannock has tremendous income disparity, and you see it all over the district. Mm. So how do you respond to that? For me, it is shocking that wages have been stagnant since the 70s. Yes. Um, I, I do believe in unions. I'm a union member myself. And I believe in collective bargaining. If you don't have it, then someone has to say, hey, let's raise the minimum wage so that it becomes a livable wage. We have people who are not only working three jobs, they're working four jobs. And no one has time to see their children. Um, You have two uh, parents who are both working those kinds of hours. This is really not sustainable. There was an American compact, an idea that if you work really hard, you could find a decent place to live, you could educate your children, you could better your family. And that is falling apart, and we need to address that. We need to raise the minimum wage for starters. Yes. I know that this is largely, uh, or the expansion of Medicaid in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia is a General Assembly issue, but how, as a member of Congress, would you try and, and protect Medicaid, expand Medicaid, on a federal level? Well, what's important, even if you have Medicaid for all going through on the state level, which would be fantastic for 400,000 people, plus a group of Stanford professors found that uh, it would increase jobs in Virginia by 57,000. Wow. That's by extrapolating from what's happened in other states already of jobs creation because of Medicaid expansion. But from a federal level, you know, Trump has said, well, people who have Medicaid should be working. Many people on Medicaid, like small children, like the elderly in nursing homes, are not going to be working. And, um, but even if you, even if you agree that able-bodied people who, who could work, they should work to get Medicaid, the federal government then just said to the state, well, go ahead and do this, but we're not going to help you with financing mm. for child care, transportation, job training. So that's just kicking the can down the road. So at a federal level, all of that has to be reversed. Yes. This this whole thing of people are living longer, 
miracles in modern medicine, etc. People are living longer and staying healthy longer, but also are, are having issues. Alzheimer's is a big thing. We don't help people with autism after they're 21, they're issues with social security. What all of these medical issues that need to be addressed, what, what can we do? Well, this, is, this has actually reached crisis proportions. For older people, we have a situation where, um, you know, for long-term care, you can go through your entire savings as an older person with long-term care. Mm. And then suddenly you need Medicaid. You know, what if Medicaid isn't there for you? Mm. What if you can't get Medicaid at that point? And people who are advocates for the elderly, one of them in Charlottesville said, look, I've, I know what happened. If they can't pay that bill, I've actually seen someone put in a taxi and taken to a homeless shelter. It's not legal, but it's done. So we have to make sure, and I believe, truly believe, the only way to do this is through Medicare for All. Mm. And Medicare for All, there's a great bill right now in the House for the expanded Medicare for All, and I would put my name to that bill. There are already 121 people who support it. And what that does is it makes sure that long-term care is paid for. Mm. And also, you mentioned the other side of the spectrum for kids, that those, that those conditions, autism, everything is paid for. And how is it paid for? Well, right now we spend a vast sum because people do not get preventative care. They're not getting enough preventative care, so they go to the emergency room, and that is wildly expensive. I was talking to a group of UVA nurses the other day who said, you know, if we could get nurse practitioners in every county so that people could actually go to the nurse practitioner, it would save an absurd amount of money. Mm. So funding things like that, practical steps, so that people have access to health care, making sure that rural hospitals don't close. Um, all of this is, is what we desperately need. You know, it's true, and I'm glad we, we got to the word rural thanks to you, because often, and I, I'm New York City guy, so I, I'm guilty of this, but there's a lot of America that's not in a city or even a, a a city relatively, comparatively small like Charlottesville, Virginia. There's a lot. I mean, the 5th District is enormous in Virginia. You are out there adding more and more miles on your car, I know. But the 5th District is a good, I think, composite of what America is about because there are cities, towns, farms. Tell us about how the different needs of people and how you can help. Well, one thing about being rural is, uh, is simply people need to get to their doctor. It's a transportation issue. Mm. And it's also an issue of doctors don't necessarily want to go out to these counties. So what you have to do is you have to have incentives. Like one, uh, one cardiologist in Danville said, look, I'm training doctors. Let's make sure that their student loans are forgiven if they will spend three years in a rural county, mm. in an underserved area. And that can be also done for those UVA nursing students. Mm. But anyone who is taking on the, these underserved areas, let's wipe out those student loans. Let's make it possible and let's make it a priority. That is an excellent idea and an excellent answer. Well, uh, Leslie Coburn, running to be the Democratic nominee in the 5th District of Virginia, 
uh, caucuses coming up uh, in uh, mid-April and, and May. Leave us, uh, first of all, give us your website and how we can yet be involved in your campaign and um, and then take us out with what the most important thing you want to leave with us. Okay, I'd say um, first, don't forget, if you want to find out about these caucuses, look up va5caucus.com. So it's va5caucus, C-A-U-C-U-S dot com, and you'll find out the caucus information. My website is lesliecoburnforcongress.com. Have a look at it. There's a lot of material there. And uh, a final thought is this is a very special year. It's a very critical time for Democrats. It is time to get out and vote. So, and the caucus is the time when you can do it. So it's, it's, a, it's a very, very important time to vote. Probably the most important time to vote in my lifetime. Mm. So everyone get out and do it. Okay, Leslie Coburn, thank you so very much for being on the show. You are a constant inspiration to me, and I hope also to my listeners, everybody, get out there in the caucus, and then uh, make certain you register to vote, of course, and vote. Thank you so much, Leslie Coburn, and all the best to you. Thank you. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton, singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, your host for the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Leslie Coburn. In, in April and May of this year, of course, voters in Virginia's uh, 5th Congressional District will select the Democratic nominee to run for the U.S. House of Representatives through a caucus and convention process. The chosen nominee will then run against incumbent congressman and House Freedom Caucus member Tom Garrett. So, naturally, I've asked Leslie Coburn, who is campaigning to be the Democratic nominee for Congress, to explain how voters can participate in that process. But first, a quick review of some of Ms. Coburn's accomplishments. Uh, Leslie, 
is a graduate of Yale University with a distinguished career in journalism that spanned 35 years. A producer for CBS News, 60 Minutes, a correspondent for PBS Frontline, a Ferris professor of journalism at Princeton, a writer and an author, and on and on. She's covered everything, including the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, uh, Colombia, Cambodia, and Central America. Good afternoon, Leslie. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad to have you on the show again. So can you explain to us what we can expect as participants, what we need to do as participants, voters, in the April and May selection of a nominee for the Congress? It's a caucus convention system. So the week of April 14th to the 21st, every county in the 5th District, that's 21 counties, plus two jurisdictions, which is Charlottesville and Danville, will have a caucus. And everybody who's registered to vote in that county can go to the caucus. This is the place where you actually get to vote. It's, you know, think primary. This is the time when you get to choose one of four Democrats uh, who are running. So you go to the caucus, and when you get there, you, um, you know, they will check you in. And you probably in the room in each county, there will be a spot in each corner for each candidate. So you go and you go with your chosen candidate. There's also a place for people who are undecided. Mm. So you go with that group. And during the course of the next couple of hours, you will vote for delegates who will stand for your candidate and then go on to Farmville on May 5th for the convention. If you want to find out more about this, just go to va5caucus.com and there's information there. It, it really is, I feel, it's it's made simple and easy. We, the voters, just have to show up and do it. Is that... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, because um, you've been out on the, uh, on the campaign trail for some time now. How have things evolved? Um, where do you see things in, as they stand for you now? Well, the interesting thing now is that there is a lot of excitement around this district, both in the north and south of the district, about this election. So we have had standing room only meet and greet events in counties like um, Lunenburg, in Brunswick, uh, in uh, Halifax, in Prince Edward County. So I think the people are really excited and as like you, they want to know right now about the caucus system, how it works. So we explain, just show up. Mm. Uh, get the information about which date it is in their county and you can go to va5caucus.com it's all there and just show up I think that you know things have changed along with the big issues for example uh, I, I marched on Saturday in Washington at the big march with those uh, incredible high school students from Florida. Yes. And that issue, I think the guns issue, has come to the fore for certainly for many Democrats. So that's a change. The health care issue is still incredibly important for people, as well as uh, I see, you know, in pockets all over the district, the environmental issues are very, it's very intense as well, particularly with these pipelines. Yes, and I, you know, and, and there are things, and what I like to see, of course, as you, you mentioned, the Parkland uh, High School students, uh, truly, 
Truly, the torch has been passed to a new generation again, and they are running with it and inspiring people of all ages. There are a lot of people with as much gray hair as I have out there marching, and of course, all over the country, not just in Washington, D.C. But what I'm loving about this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts there are many, I've always said, if we, if, if we could just realize that all of us really are those of us who fight for equal rights and opportunity for all and health care, you know, and gender equality, those who stand for those issues are really all fighting for the same thing, whether it's Black Lives Matter or Me Too or Time's Up or Never Again, March for Our, our Lives. And when I saw happen in Washington, D.C. and around the country on Saturday, March 24th, was that they did come together. They stood together in a common cause. Are you finding that true, and and how does that affect you and, and your candidacy? Well, I did find it true on Saturday. I I was actually, I felt very proud to be able to go up to people with signs, you know, saying uh, get uh, NRA funding out of uh, politics and all of this, to be able to say, yes, I'm running for Congress, I will not take a dime from the NRA, and agreeing with people and being supportive. And they were very excited to have a candidate out there marching with them. Mm. I think that, um, uh, you know, the... It's coming to the fore now. There's an excellent, actually a very good assault weapons ban in Congress on the table right now, and I would certainly add my name to that. And Virginia, it's so important, though, because everybody's a hunter in Virginia. Mm -hmm. We've got a ton of hunters. Uh, We hunt at my place. You know, I grew up as a hunter. So to make the distinction between hunters and these weapons that are really weapons of war, And, you know, for me, the distinction is very clear because as an adult, I was in so many war zones. I was in three wars in Afghanistan, two in Iraq, Mm. etc. So seeing these conventional weapons used, you really understand that you don't want them here at home. And certainly it's really the wrong kind of weapon for a civilian to have. If you're in the military, it's quite a different thing. Yes. And, you know, I'm glad you went there because that's what I was hinting at. Knowing your background uh, as a, a media and television reporter in war zones, your opinion about the kinds of guns, and you're a hunter. I mean, I grew up in the, with a family, not my father and mother, but all of all of their siblings were hunters, avid hunters. So I grew up around guns, and, and you know, when I went off to basic training, I'd no less than the uh, battalion commander saw me shoot and said, good job, son. Well, because I could shoot. I had been trained to do that. But but the kinds of weapons that the NRA seems to be pushing under the guise of the slippery slope threat, uh, they they are weapons of war. And, and uh, children have had enough, and I'm glad to see adults and candidates have enough too. So what what do you think is next for for that movement? What's next for Me Too and, and uh, Never Again? And where do you guide them now? I, I know you, you, you love seeing that they are pushing people to vote. Tell us what your takeaway is from all that. Well, I think Me Too is a very important movement. I mean, it's just been stunning to watch that evolve, just as it has to watch this uh, movement started by the high school students. I think that uh, it means that candidates really need to address their concerns and their issues. So when you look at um, you know, domestic violence, sexual violence, 
these things have to be addressed. Yes. And I think as a woman going to Congress, we see this anyway. I mean, I've always been concerned about sexual assault in the military, for example. Uh, one in three women in the military are faced with sexual assault. So we need to change rules like, how are these women judged? Mm. Let's make sure they're judged by someone outside their chain of command. This kind of thing, which will make a huge difference in the lives of so many people. And also on the gun issue, there's a very important women's issue there, which is if you make sure that the loopholes for people who are guilty of domestic violence are closed, mm. so they cannot get a weapon, you will not have these terrible massacres like the one in, in the in church in Texas, yes. where that could have been stopped if the information had been received and loopholes closed for people with domestic violence having guns. Uh, absolutely. And and in Virginia, where are we with that? Because I think the last time before the uh, General Assembly in Richmond, there was an effort to prevent people with domestic violence uh, history records to not be able to buy a gun for five years. But didn't that fail or is my memory failing? Yes. It, I, I, and I think that you know, these things don't, the loopholes still aren't closed. We have boyfriend loopholes. You know, you have to you have to really look at partners as well. And you have records of one government agency not giving them to another government agency. I think a lot of this needs to be dealt with at the federal level. I, I agree. And what's happening? Uh, I mean, I know you want to go there and make a difference, and I know you can. What is, is Congress even budging? I mean, if for no other reason, the House of Representatives being afraid they're going to uh, suffer or drown in a blue wave, but are, is there any movement um, to, to listening and acting on some kind of reasonable gun legislation? Well, I think the, the assault weapons ban of 2018 mm -hmm. is a reasonable step forward. You know, we had an assault weapons ban in 1994 that lasted for... 10 years. Yes. And during that period, you had many fewer massacres. It really did help. So that's the 2018 legislation that's now on the table really is, is something that's a step forward. So I, I would support that. Well, I'm glad. And, you know, I should mention also that another group of Americans who are standing up for women's rights and the rights of people to make a decent wage uh, it hasn't gotten as much uh, press. Uh, it has gotten some, but I want to throw it out there and, and get your comment on it, too. It, uh, in New York City earlier this month, um, uh, the Coalition of Immaculate Workers, we may remember those as the guys in Florida who grow tomatoes and men are assaulted, women are raped. I mean, it's just, uh, and the pay is ridiculous. And they've managed to get a number of, of fast foods, uh, restaurants and other restaurants who, of course, serve tomatoes to stand with them and try to get a better kind of, just better working conditions is really what it boils down to, treating human beings like human beings. And in New York City, they did a five-day fast. So there they are, immaculate workers, and a lot of people, allies gathering around. Do you see that as part of, a, of all the other movements coming together at the same time significant? Well, I think the Immokalee workers, uh, who I've known uh, for many years, mm -hmm. 
Uh, we're really there in the forefront of uh, trying to get better working conditions for immigrants. They, they exposed, for example, clear cases of slavery in the United States among immigrant working communities where people were actually, you know, forced to stay on location uh, with, with threat of, you know, being shot. Yes. So they have done extraordinary work. They've also made sure that, um, that big fast food chains pay that extra penny for yeah. the tomato. Yes. And so I, I think they kind of are leaders in this role. They, you know, they have received many important awards and are are just. Um, I, I I I would say they're the most admirable group of all for um, supporting workers' rights. Because for so long, as you were saying, I I think, uh, for so long they really seemed to be by themselves. There was, of course, the civil rights movement of the 60s, but still the Immaculate Workers were kind of the spearhead. I I agree, I agree. We're we're going to take... Yeah, and I think that when you look at uh, any kind of immigration reform that all of us want, of course, and I I think about immigration reform as not only um, an important issue for all Democrats, but in terms of building a bigger coalition, in the 5th District, you have really important employers like the Department of Forestry, who, when they replant trees, all those trees are planted by immigrant labor. And, when, and of course, you have all these poultry farms with immigrant labor. Mm. So when you, when you try and build a coalition for immigration reform, you also need that peace supplied by people like the Immokalee group, mm. which really protects the rights of these people so that those those rights don't get trampled in the process. Fantastic. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Leslie Coburn. We're going to discuss uh, disparity, uh, income disparity in Medicaid, Social Security, uh, schools, education, what's going on. Uh, there's so much more to talk about. And as I'm going to ask in the next a segment with what looks like it might be, don't sit on your hands though, folks, a blue wave. What warning do you have, Leslie, for Democrats, that is Democrats in office and about to be elected to office so that they don't fall into this trap um, that is being, the traps that are being protested so much now. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Leslie Coburn. Stay with us. My grandfather I lost when I was 17 and see like the sea of purple. People have been impacted by this disease, but when it comes to have been diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's as well. Um, in the fall, we were doing the walk to end Alzheimer's, um, and that was the first event where I saw um, the community really come together for this one event. And um, it was raining that day, it was cold, but um, it, a bunch of people, there were so many people out there because they believe that this is an issue that's worth um, their time. With the Junior Alzheimer's Association, I've been honored to plan certain things that are happening in the community to make a difference in the community at a young age and we also help fight the fight against Alzheimer's. My overreaching uh, goal every day is about concern and awareness. Raising concern about the disease, awareness about the Alzheimer's Association. My mom's been gone 10 years now and I'm just feeling like I wanna be involved. Support please the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 800-272-3900. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. 
recapturing the flag from NRA's Russian-made Make America Great Again. The ancient histories of Easter and Passover are as true, moving, and intertwined as our First Amendment is with Sister Jean, Me Too, and Never Again. Some celebrate with sunrise services and Easter egg hunts. Some tune in to tune out with reruns of the Ten Commandments and Easter Parade. Some search the heavens for falling China junk, fearing self-inflicted trade wars. And some, because of their skin color, are still forced to run for their lives. Don King is partially correct about one thing. People around the world may laugh at leaders shackled to the street, claiming greatness while casting a giant shadow of Holocaust, unending wars, national opiate and gun violence addiction, cuckled by an unfaithful president, ignorant of international stewardship, achieving 42% poll numbers with tweets that rally the underinformed with alternative facts. But 2018 special elections prove we who vote still are the power grid of, by, and for the people. Blinding 24 marketing hides in plain sight, jealousy, violent anger, and desperation consuming those who fear change, like Congress, the Taliban shooting Malala, warmongering, Dick Cheney, John Bolton, appointed heads of government agencies euthanizing them. But in the wake of our 2018 Valentine's Day massacre, my mind relives my teenage questions as inventive baby boomer creations bear witness to the next great political paradigm. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high schoolers, 1960s students, and Kent State survivors united in writing the next chapters of FDR's New Deal, JFK's New Frontier, and MLK's Mountaintop. Long before Putin tipped our electoral scales, ignoring 2.9 million more voters, America's elections repeatedly proved Newton's third law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Why are we the people increasingly swinging our political pendulum further right and left, inciting extremes to ignore the core value of being centered, resulting in unending wars, poisonous Russian hack attacks, China's dictator for life, and disengaging education from our human infrastructure, children? Some fear if everyone of every creed, color, and heritage gets everything they want, there won't be enough. This tether hobbles American progress to trickle down nothing, love it or leave it, and too big to jail, undermining middle-class blue and white-collar dreams, making us more susceptible to the violence of U.S. Army's JROTC and NRA-funded civilian marksmanship school programs. Being managed by Fox, MSNBC, and social media, how do we recapture the flag of renewal post-2016 elections? A herded America drowning in manipulated tone-deaf rivalry withers away thinking, curiosity, and reason. Cease and desist congressionally chartered schools where children are trained to fire automatic weapons. Honor 22 female senators who put their male counterparts on sexual harassment notice. Value educators and education with dollars and cents. 
intimidate sexual harassment out of our culture. Replace corrupted election computers with honest human calculators. Can't we agree life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness grants all freedom to use their talents to make a difference to both family and future? Seeking resurrection of a republic, if we can keep it, mingled with my 2003 questions for Mom as she began her 12-year journey through the maze of Alzheimer's, Easter morning I poured my black coffee, loaded a favorite DVD, acquiesced being body pillow for two dogs, and reminisced about music soothing the savage breast. Then, watching War Admiral defeated by his owner's arrogance, I relived Mom's 2003 answer. Indeed, Seabiscuit was the little horse for poor people. Sustaining an American dream that reflects our ever-evolving nation of hope will sustain voting rights, affordable mental and physical health care, quality education, and justice for all. To be regenerated after emerging from our current swamp, we need embrace civil unity or risk America doomed to living tragically maimed. It's our duty to exasperate powers preferring low voter turnout, presidential spewing dishonesty that rots Easter eggs, for wisdom schools us. Despite underfunded education and devalued teachers, boycotting, marching in peaceful assembly, and voting remain our best kingly resistance. Because conservative financiers scripting the propaganda that people of color, LGBTQ, and gun violence don't matter will fail before the power of truth, world peace is savior of America's soul. All vainglory is fleeting, and an educated child shall lead them. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.